0: I'm Tragoance Phillips, and welcome to the Prodigal Stories Podcast, a show where Billy Hallowell and I take you through some of the most powerful stories of the day stories of hope, transformation, and intrigue. On today's episode, we welcome Charles Billingsley, a teaching pastor at Thomas Road Baptist Church in my neck of the woods, Lynchburg, Virginia. He's one of the original members of the 90s contemporary Christian band New Song and has spent years honing his craft as a solo artist and worship leader. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Charles Billingsley. Charles Billingsley, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, man. Thank you, Trey. How how are y'all how are y'all doing? Faithwire.
0: Yeah, no, we're we're good. I know it's it's a busy time. I think, you know, everybody is is all over the place and in the summertime uh, and and so much going on. So, but yes. it's good to catch up with you and you know uh, so many people know you from new song, of course, but you have, uh, you've since, uh, launched your, your solo career, had so many albums come out uh, as a solo artist, but I don't know if people know some of your backstory. Could you tell us how you got into music? <laughs>
1: well, that's all kind of an accident. Honestly, I, I, I was, uh, big into sports in high school and a friend of mine, um, overheard me singing in a church service one time and he uh, dared me to sing for our youth group and I turned him down Mm -hmm. of course and and uh, the next Sunday he shows up with a cassette track in his hands and he said uh, all right you're on the next week and I was like are you kidding me and of course he handed this to me in front of a bunch of my football playing buddies and so I, I really I took took the whole thing as a sort of a dare and kind of a joke, honestly. Um, but it was a great song. It was a song called Wounded Soldier by an artist named Steve Green. And uh, yeah. I learned the song and I decided to sing it. And, you know, I didn't think much of it, but but it's the weirdest thing, Trey. I, I got on that platform and uh, suddenly it just felt like the most natural thing to me. And uh, a couple of guys were in the back of the room, the worship pastor and stuff, and they asked me to sing for the church. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up singing around quite a bit in high school. And then in college, I went to Samford University and, and actually got a vocal scholarship there. And, and never really thought I'd do it for a living, but I knew I was called to ministry in some way, shape, or form. And, um, and by the time I got to my senior year, it seemed like everybody was asking me to sing, not not speak. And so, um, so I had a couple come to me my senior year at college, and they offered to help pay for me to do a recording. Mm-hmm. And I had written some songs, and so I did this little recording and and uh, handed it to a local race radio station of this particular song called "The Sparrow," and they ended up playing it for for reasons who knows why, but. Um, they played the song and got a good response. And, and so they started playing it regularly. And um, one thing leads to another. And, and uh, I graduated May 23rd of 1992 and uh, had my first concert scheduled May 24th of 1992. And um, by the grace of God and by lots of friends and people offering me opportunities to come, uh, that's all I've done the last 30 years. And, uh, in fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated my 30th year of doing this. So, you know, thirty, thirty-five hundred 3,500 and some odd concerts now, and, um, it's just crazy, you know? So the yeah. Lord is really blessed and, 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 you know, I always had this, this deal I made with the Lord. I just said, you know, look, I'll keep going as long as they keep calling. So that's been the, the story.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well what was your you mentioned having grown up in the church and you know, singing in high school. What was your journey to faith like? When did you come to Christ?
1: Early. I was a, I was a little boy. My dad was a preacher, um he was an evangelist and um uh, I remember him being out of town one Sunday preaching, but we were living in um a city called Salt Lake City, Utah and of course there's not a lot of there's a lot of Mormons and there's not a lot of Christian churches there and um no we were in a little tiny baptist church there in town and uh, my dad was working with the southern baptist convention of utah and and I, the pastor gave an invitation his name was pastor Rousseau. he gave an invitation and of course i'd heard the gospel hundreds of times from my dad but this particular morning the holy spirit just convicted me and and i came down the aisle and and uh, gave my heart to christ that day at six years old and um And then my dad left his revival service that Sunday afternoon and drove all the way back home and baptized me that night. And that was kind of cool. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty neat, pretty neat situation. And, um, and, you know, just, uh, just, I tell everybody, you know, God saves some people out of stuff and he saves some people from stuff and. For me, he saved me from just a life of mistakes and heartache, and saved me, and you know, at an early age, and kept me from getting involved in too much craziness. You know, so I'm just walking over here to plug in my computer. But um, so you know, all is uh, all has not been easy, but you know, the nice thing is, is that he's never left me, and he's never going to, and that's the mm-hmm. beautiful thing about. In Christ and and getting to know Him early on in life, you know. Yeah, which is a peace that passes all understanding.
0: And what was that journey like? I mean, as, as someone who was saved and, and baptized at the age of six, obviously you go through life and you face trials and there are things that challenge your faith. Uh, you know, could mm-hmm. you tell me a little bit about that journey for you of of the, the, you know some of the moments that made your faith real, if you, you know what I mean.
1: Well, you know, whenever you have a loved one who um, is going through a difficult time, like my mom is right now, um, you know, when you have a loved one die or when you have friends pass away, I remember, I think the first moment in my life that really rocked my world, I was probably, I think, eight years old when my grandfather died, you know, those moments will, will you know, start getting you thinking about life after death. You know, yeah. uh, and then I remember a, a really poignant moment in high school on Thanksgiving Day. Um, the guy who played cornerback opposite the field of me, his name was Curtis Cantrell, was shot and killed in a hunting accident on Thanksgiving Day, my senior year, and. You know, little moments like that that happen in life where you get that phone call, you get that bad report from the doctor or whatever it might be, those are the moments that cause you to pause and think about Mm -hmm. something a little deeper than just, you know, making the next buck or, you know, having, you know, playing the next round of golf or going out with your buddies on Friday night, you know? I mean, look, all that stuff is wonderful, and I think it's all a gift of God to enjoy life. But, um, uh, you know, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to, you know, laugh and a time to cry. And uh, I have discovered in, in my walk with the Lord that it's in those times of crying, the, the, the dark valleys, the, the, the tough days, that you really learn how to worship the Lord and really learn mm-hmm. what it's like to really, truly live for Him. And that's and where you learn how to trust Him, too, you know?
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about a few minutes ago being at, at the 30-year mark, having just celebrated 30 years in this uh, this musical career that sort of happened by accident, uh, and now you've had you know, s- seven songs uh, that were number one uh, inspirational radio hits when they were released. You've done 24 solo recordings, earned a Grammy nomination for new song. I did some research ahead of time, so I would know wow, all, of the, Good all of the things so but I, I want to know what. What do you make of that success of the way that God has kind of paved the way for your career?
1: Well, you know, I'm I, I'm kind of in a sense I don't really feel like I'm very successful at this. I mean, in in one in one way, I mean, you know, you look at the Stephen Curtis Chapman's of the world who have so many devil words; they literally use them for you know paperweights and doorstops. You know, I I don't have those kind of awards, but then again, I never I never really went after that kind of thing. I I just really kept my whole ministry in the local church and
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, I think my reward really has been in relationships with um hundreds of pastors and worship pastors and and their choirs and their people and just um I've had a lot of reward in that sense. I've also had a lot of reward in the sense that I've been back to hundreds of places more than once. Um, and that to me is probably the greatest compliment to my ministry is when you get that second invitation, you know, um, because that means whatever you did there spoke to the hearts of their people. And that's, that's a powerful thing to me. So, you know, um, I don't know. I never really look at it as a success, you know, radio hits and all that is fun. But radio is fickle and it changes by the month, it seems like. And so sometimes yeah. I, I make a record and and think that this is right down the middle alley of radio and Christian music. And you know, radio is going to play the snot out of this and then they don't touch it, you know. Uh, and I just stopped. I just stopped worrying about it. You know, after doing 30 years of this, I just I just stopped worrying about trying to. Chase after or please an industry, and besides, instead just decided to have a ministry and and um, and do and record and write uh, what I feel led to do, and then let God be my promoter. And uh, it's it's worked out much better that way. Um, and then if the if you know if the industry or my friends in Christian music want to give me uh, an award or notoriety, then man, I'm grateful. And I'm very thankful. But um, I finally got to the point in my career where I, I wasn't worried about that. And that's a very freeing spot to be.
0: You know, was that a difficult transition to, to go from? Because the world will tell you that, that these kinds of, uh, of accolades and this kind of worldly success uh, is what matters. And I, I would imagine it's easy to kind of fall into that trap. I mean, was that ever a, a decision point that you had to make?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's something you wrestle with all the time. I still wrestle with it. I mean, you know, who doesn't want Dove Awards and Grammy Awards, right? I mean, it shows that you're well-respected across the board with the industry and the people that do what you do and and uh, with fans across the world. Um, honestly, I've, I've never quite figured out how to, to do that in the Christian music industry. I, I think partly because I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about it, but
0: Mm.
1: then on the flip side, you know, you see all the success of your friends and people. You know, I remember one one good example is Point of Grace. I don't know if you're familiar with Point of Grace, but um, they started at the same time I did. We used to do all kinds of youth concerts and conferences and youth camps together. They went off to Estes Park. They won the competition out there. Ended up signing a big record deal, and then had a string of like twenty-something number one hits, and you know sold all kinds of records, and did all kinds of tours, and you know meanwhile I'm just going church to church and doing my thing, and um, I had a lot of moments where I would look at them and go, "Wow, I, man, maybe I should have gone to Estes Park, or you know maybe I should have done this mm-hmm. or that," and uh, yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of moments um, where I've wondered if the route I took was the best route but you know what I look back after 30 years and I realize man I'm one of the few guys that has lasted this long doing this um, and honestly I think it comes down to relationships with pastors and worship pastors and and uh, you know in a sense that's my industry those guys um, even yeah. more than the radio and the the booking agents and all that It's it's really more just hey I'm I about 20 years ago just became the guy that the mediums to big size churches that have a choir and orchestra that are trying to go from point A to point B in their contemporary mindset and culture, uh, I was the guy that they called <laughs> and, and uh, I sort of unintentionally found a niche there and, um, and just kind of ex- excelled in that little niche. Um, it's a weird niche and um it's hard to describe to anybody but that's that's where i landed and it's given me a wonderful career it's given me a lot of wonderful relationships um but i can't say that i look at the industry and and want to ignore it in fact if 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 there was one big regret in my life it'd probably be not having more success in the industry than in, in, in which i play in you know mm. yeah. um but it just hasn't happened that way, and in the end, I know that uh, all of that is just uh, worldly success anyway and and all that, but I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have moments in my life where I wish I would have had more success in those realms.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the comparison game uh, that we all are kind of tempted to play at times uh, distracts us, though, from the, the ministry and the opportunity and the platform God has given us. Uh, And, you know, to know that God has given you that uh, has given you that lane, I think, is is also a blessing. Right. To know that that's uh, where he's called you and he's given you that space. Um, So but I want to talk too about your brand new album, uh, The Shadow of Your Smile. Look, I am a big band lover. That's my favorite uh, genre.
1: Oh, man. Well, we hit a nerve with this one.
0: So, yeah, I when I first listened to it the other day, I thought, "Man, this is my kind of my kind of music." So, uh what inspired, uh, you know, the the genre here?
1: Well, I'll be honest with you, Trey, I, the the big inspiration behind it was I just want to expand an audience. I mean, I feel like I've been singing to roughly the same crowd for 30 years and they've been so loyal to me, but I also want to expand into a new audience that maybe doesn't even know the Lord, doesn't go to church, um, because I've discovered something that that the the mainstream audience does. They they love good music and and they love good singing. And uh, every time I've been on a cruise ship or whatever, and we've done a little karaoke or something, it's been amazing just to the response of these of these people to just you know a good song or whatever. And so I thought you know. I've wanted to do this for 20 years, why not just make one record that's just full of these great classics, you know, yeah. go back to my old opera minor and really just rare back and sing, you know, because, uh, you know, when I'm doing pop records, it's about a vibe, it's about a thing, you know, and, and the songs are great, and I love that sound, but I just wanted a pure singing record, a record full of just great songs that everybody knows that I can just create new arrangements of. And more than anything, just bring a smile to the face of not just non-Christians, but Christians alike. And so um, we started off thinking around seven to eight, maybe nine songs. And then I realized, well, what I really need to do is make a, create a calling card to symphonies and performing arts centers that, that would become a a repertoire of material that I have available to do in these, um, you know, in this genre. And mm-hmm. so we created 15 arrangements of songs. And I knew I wanted some big band stuff. And I knew I wanted some really lush, romantic stuff. And then we added a few Broadway tunes. And then I added one classical tune. and And it just sort of became this, I don't know, I guess what you'd call a resume of vocal work for me and the reason I did it that way is because I figured well at 52 years old I need to do this record now while I can still sing this stuff (laughs) Um, and still have enough you know runway to build a career in this genre so uh, I'm not leaving Christian music but I'm certainly expanding into this genre as aggressively as I possibly can and the response has been surprisingly positive so I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, the material for the record itself uh, really just came down to hey, what can I sing that brings a positive message that um, doesn't talk about immorality in any way, shape, or form, but at the same time uh, brings a smile to the face of people. Um, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned Big Band. I mean, I don't know if anybody doesn't like that sound. I mean, it's just yeah. classic, you know. And so, but to sing it, Trey, I have more fun singing these songs. They're, the, they're a blast. They're just a blast. Uh, and We debuted here in Lynchburg a couple weeks back at the Academy of the Arts, and the response has been so huge that we're coming back next year for two nights, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I, 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 I'm looking forward to trying to get out into other symphonies and other communities and replicating what we did on May 13th here in Lynchburg.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, there is no more fun music to sing than, than the big band uh, type stuff. And know Bobby Darren is one of my favorite singers. Oh, I'm like wow. an old soul. So I yeah, loved uh, dream lover is such a, such a good song and you did a beautiful rendition of it.
1: Oh man. Thank you. I, I tell you what I've, I'm having a blast with this stuff. I yeah. really am. And the, you know, then you, you know, the big stuff like bring him home and, and yeah. you'll never walk alone. And some of those big ballads that are sort of wrapped in the midst of these big band tunes—it's a big record. It really is. It's um, it re- it required a lot of of heavy-duty, powerful singing. Um, I have a wonderful producer named Tim Davis who really helped me. Uh, just you know, really, literally every syllable, just making sure that. Uh, that the vocal was right um, tim's a genius in that regard and and so he was a huge help to me but in the end that the final product i think is something we're very proud of and and what i love about it more than anything is that it's a timeless record so 30 years after i'm gone you can throw that record on and it still feels right you know
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Well, my last question for you is just, uh, you mentioned wanting to expand your audience and and reach out as a Christian uh, to perhaps an unbelieving audience. Why is it important as believers that we step into that space when when we can uh, to minister to those who don't necessarily believe too?
1: Well, look, the Bible really is pretty simple in the sense that it just basically talks about the need of mankind, the answer to that need is Jesus, and the responsibility we have as his children is to grow his kingdom. I mean, it's pretty simple. That's the basic gist of the entire thing. You can sum it up in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when I look at the scope, the grand scope, and throughout all of history of why God created the world, why we're in the world, why we exist, and why we're still here and He hasn't taken us home, the only thing I can figure is it's my responsibility as a believer and as a child of the King to use all the resources I have, all the talents He's given me, to do my best to grow His kingdom. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. In generations past, His kingdom grew because... Mankind was recognizing their lostness and coming to the church. Uh, that, that's all gone now. Mankind doesn't consider themselves lost at all and considers the church their enemy. So I've gotta figure out a way now to go to mankind. The only way I can do that is to earn the right to be heard. And it's not gonna be by standing on a street corner preaching and yelling at people. Instead, I wanna meet them where they are. And where they are is sad, depressed, lonely, hopeless, helpless in many cases, uh, purposeless, and, um, and yet it's amazing what music does to the heart of mankind. It opens up the soul. And if I can use my voice with a song like Smile or a song like You'll Never Walk Alone that has this powerful, encouraging message of love and hope and peace and goodness, which, by the way, is all from God, If I can use my voice to open up a soul to something that's a little bigger than who they are and help them understand that you'll never walk alone. But in the end, um, the only reason you won't is because you can have a friend in Jesus. Uh, I can't say that in a secular concert, but what I can do is sing the song and send them to a website. Mm-hmm. Or I can sing a song like, let there be peace on earth and help them realize that peace doesn't, uh, not something you can manufacture on your own. It comes yeah. from a higher power, uh, things like this that will spark and open the interest in the hearts and minds of people like it did the other night, May 13th in Lynchburg. And then hopefully... Uh, God will bring somebody into their life in a conversation or they'll darken the doors of a church like I did have with a friend of mine just a few weeks ago who's never come to church before and there, there they were as a result of this concert. Um, you know, little moments like that that I can do my part uh, to open the hearts and minds to the gospel and grow the kingdom then I feel like that's, this album and all the money we spent on it and all the albums I'm going to do afterwards will be well worth the effort. I mean, here's the thing. I'm a Christian first and a singer second. I want to use my voice for his glory. Uh, And part of using my voice for his glory, in my opinion, is to be salt to the world. And so uh, I want to use that voice to go out into the highways and byways, sing songs that people love, that are pure lyrically, but at the same time uh, will open their heart and mind to the opportunity to share something deeper uh, with them.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think any time that you can, uh, as believers, that we can do something like that and, and maybe spark interest in one heart at a time uh, to to adding them uh, to the kingdom, I think it's it's worth it. So um, I can't say enough about the album. It's so good. Uh, thank you so much, Charles, for taking a few minutes to talk with us. I, I appreciate it.
1: Man, thank you, Trey. And, and for anybody watching, they can order physical copies from us, or I think they even carry them in Walmart and stuff, but um, uh, you can always just download it on Apple, or Spotify, or Pandora, wherever you get your music. But uh, I would love for folks, as many as we can, to get them to hear this record and share it with others.
0: Yeah, awesome, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Trey. God bless you, buddy.
0: Well, that was Charles Billingsley. His new album is called The Shadow of Your Smile, and it's out and available anywhere you stream your music. Billy Hallowell, uh, what did you think about that conversation?
2: The thing that always stands out to me in these kinds of conversations are those weird moments where you think you're going to do something in life, right? And Charles thought he was going to do something in life, you know, play football. And then God just throws this crazy wrench in, and then your entire life pivots Toward that direction. Right. And that that to me was the part of his story. And I just love those pivot point moments. But like him thinking he's going out there to do football and he ends up, I'm just going to sing right now. And then suddenly you're a singer. Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and especially when it's something that you're asked about kind of on a whim, maybe even jokingly and you reluctantly are like, ugh okay, I'll do this, and then it just slowly you start to sing more in church, and then, like you said, the next thing you know, you wake up, and uh, and this is your, not just something that you do, but it is the thing you do, and it's become your career, uh, and something that was really encouraging, I think, and even maybe challenging um to, to people who listen, I know certainly was for me, um, is the vulnerability that Charles had during our conversation and saying, look, it hasn't always looked exactly how I thought it would look. He's been in this business, been in this ministry for 30 some years that I think you just say you know, he just celebrated his 30 year anniversary of being in music ministry. and he said this it doesn't always look the way that I thought it would look. and there are times when I'm tempted to play. The comparison game, uh, you know, and I think that's something we're all tempted to do. So I think is vulnerability and willingness to talk about that um, is important.
2: Yeah, and I think the comparison game, it's something I struggle with. I think everybody struggles with this. But when you're in an industry like that, it becomes particularly difficult, I think, because, you know, you're you're in it for the right reason. You're in it to glorify God. You're trying to help other people do that. But in music, I mean, you're so judged by, you know, album sales or how many people are watching you or, you know, so even as Christians, if you're not really careful, it's easy to fall into that trap. So I really loved that he was open and honest about that because I think people in everyday life, no matter what their job or career is, can really relate to that.
0: Yeah, and you know, just on the heels of, of the Caleb Fan Awards, we were there, and it's a, it's an awesome event, so it, it was great to be there and great to meet so many artists, uh, but uh, I think it's easy to the secular world—obviously, they made a point at the Caleb Awards of, of, of pointing back to Christ and saying that this is all about bringing honor and glory to God, but I think when you are having these kinds of events uh, within a, a secular world that values earthly treasure, I think it's easy to kind of fall into that trap too of thinking, well, look, I've got this many number one hit songs, or I've, I've won this many awards, at the Kayla Fan Awards, or Dove Awards, or Grammys, you know, whatever it is. So it's easy to then think that my level of success um, is measured by how many accolades I've gotten, how many uh, artists I've coll- collaborated with, you know, whatever. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that your success is based on your commitment to God and His calling for your life. Uh, and Charles talking about his the niche that the Lord has kind of carved out for him as uh, of ministering to fellow believers, which that's such an important ministry, going to medium to large sized churches uh, and holding concerts and and benefits for the pastoral staff. You know, because so often they're. Kind of overlooked as the servants, uh, and we forget to serve them. Uh, but God's given him Charles the opportunity to serve those people, and then uh, to go and, and minister to to larger churches and their congregations, and and just giving them uh, a time to relax and just to to soak in uh, the blessings that God has given them by being reminded of God's goodness through song. So you know, even though we are tempted to play the comparison game, and Charles isn't immune to that, uh, it's it's still incredible to see that God provides. God gives us what we need uh, in our careers, and our personal lives, whatever. Uh, God still meets us where we need to be met.
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. And I would just say as kind of a final note on on that, I mean, look, there's Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and all these people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, why are you bringing them up? Um, but because they're, they're reaching billions of people, right? And, and so it's really easy to look at people and be like, wow, like they're having such an impact, obviously not for the kingdom, but they're having an impact. And Then you kind of look and you say, like, what impact am I having? And it's kind of convicting and crazy to think that people you've never heard of at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones who have a much bigger kingdom impact than even some of the biggest music artists in the Christian world, right? So just having a platform and having a lot of people pay attention to you, that's not necessarily real impact you know for the kingdom it's what you do and what you're called to do and being in line with that that's what makes a real impact so i don't mm-hmm. know just i i like to try to remember that and you know like some of us want to be steering wheels when we're meant to be you know ignitions or we're meant to be the the wheel of a car right like and you're not always going to be where you want to be but if you're lined up with where god wants you to be that is the best place to be that's a lot of being but yeah you know.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're 100% right. That's why we're called the body of Christ, right, is because we all serve a different role. Uh, sometimes the the, the part that we, that we hold looks really glamorous, and other times it doesn't. I don't think we're always stuck in the same position for all of our lives, but there are seasons that we go through where we have a really uh, maybe front-facing role that we really enjoy, and then one sometimes that's, we enjoy it, but then we fall into that comparison game, and we start to not enjoy it because we don't have uh, the the glitz and glamour of of another position, and also you know, as the adage goes, what well, the grass is always greener uh, on the other side until you get to the other side, and then. You realize what's fertilizing that grass, and it might, you know it might not be what all it was cracked up to be. So uh, I think that we'll we'll end it here. Is I thought it was encouraging too uh, that Charles said uh, that that he's using his platform now, the platform God's given him, regardless of size. He's seeing what he's been given, uh, and he wants to be a wise steward of that by coming out with this new album. That's kind of a secular uh, type album, but still hopeful. It's like big band jazzy type music. Uh, and he wants to, you know, use use the platform that he's been given, that God has given him, uh, to share the gospel with a different audience than he's been used to sharing it with. And I think that's great—is is to experiment, to step out of your comfort zone, uh, and to to take advantage of the opportunities God has given you to further His name. Uh, so you know, I'll I'll leave the final thought there for you, Billy.
2: Well, I was just going to say, Amen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I
2: think, then I, I think these stories are. They're they're powerful, and I love that we get to tell them on this podcast because so many people who who have well-known names, they have Mm -hmm. well-known names for different reasons, but we don't really know what's going on behind that persona. And so we get a chance to unpack that, and I think he left us with a lot of great uh, tidbits to improve our own lives and our own walks with God.
0: Yeah absolutely all right well that is all the time we have for this episode of the prodigal stories podcast if you haven't subscribed yet go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts give us that five star rating and we will see you again next week for a new episode of the prodigal stories podcast.